Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Welcome to Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. I'm Sean Smith. Ian Howarth has written a great book about the halcyon days of Montreal rock and pop radio. It's called Rock and Radio When DJs and Rock Music Ruled the Airwaves. We caught up with Ian on the West Island of Montreal. Well, listen, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. You've uh, really written an important piece that documents radio in Montreal at a very formative time. I know that um, it will resonate with many of our broadcast dialogue readers because many folks, quite frankly, worked in Montreal at one time or other or just followed the stations and the talent from afar. Uh, It's one of our storied markets in Canada for radio. And I just assumed you were a radio guy, but you're, in fact, uh, started out as an avid listener, correct? Yeah, I was just just a young... uh a young lad when I had my uh, my uh, little crystal rocket-shaped radio, which you can still buy on uh, on the internet. Yeah, I had this uh, rocket-shaped crystal radio uh, as a kid in, in Toronto, and you just hooked up uh, you uh, hooked up this little claw thing that looks like the starter cables. You had uh, contact. That was your aerial. And uh, and then you had uh, something of a tuner and the and volume, but it was all uh, it was all a lot of fine um, work, a fine manual kind of uh, dexterity, just dialing back and forth and trying to uh, catch a station that had a strong signal. Now there were some in Montreal, of course, that I that I could pick up, but they didn't. Uh, I wanted just beyond. I wanted to go beyond Montreal uh, and. and Besides, I didn't like the station that, that came in strongest. And, and at that time, I was born in 51. At that time, there was not uh, rock and roll radio per se, certainly not top 40 radio. And, and so that was, uh, uh, that back and forth was a kind of a ritual that I, that I, uh, I, I did every, uh, most nights when I was falling asleep with this hard plastic uh, ear plug in my ear. And I'd, I'd ultimately fall, fall asleep with that. <laughs> it, but uh, then I graduated to a transistor radio. It's just like a total upgrade, right? So yeah, I mean, I think you know the uh, you know Canada. The, you know, we're all fairly close to the border here. I mean, you know, Quebec's the only province that actually borders on five states. So uh, it, it was quite exotic, you know. And um, so I guess I, I fell in love with radio. I remember sitting in my parents' living room in Toronto and. And uh, I think CBC was even dabbling and playing the odd, uh, what might be considered a top 40 song. And I heard a song called Blue Moon by the Marcells. I wanted to hear more of that. I love that song. I still love it today. For you, was it about the music? Was it about the DJs or uh, mixture well, both? You know, at first, it was a, at first it was about the music because, again, you know, it wouldn't be really, as far as my listening, when... I got a little older and a little more tuned into uh, the personalities of the of the DJs. At first, it, it was just the music and that little device that would you know deliver it to me. Uh. The big question is because many radio people 
uh, you know, describe and me included their early days, just like you, you know, having an infatuation with with the airwaves. And um, why not radio as a as a profession? I, I think um, I did. And it, uh, when I went to university at Loyola College in Montreal, which uh, became uh, merged with Sir George Williams in Montreal to become what is now Concordia University, but I went there from 68 to 72, and they had a radio station, a college radio station, Radio Loyola, of course. That was the extent of it, but I loved, uh, I, eventually I started there uh, doing news, and, and I had to, I just wanted to, to get involved in campus life, and I, and having already had uh, a bit of a love affair with radio, I, I, I jumped at the chance to actually get behind a mic and I, I never seriously, I didn't think I had the voice for it. I might have had the, uh, the uh, personality for it and the passion for it, but I, I didn't think I had the, the chops, as they say. The, that definitely was the, uh, the era of the big voice, wasn't it? Oh, huge. I had, I had a couple of friends, actually. Well, one friend uh, who, who worked at, uh, wound up working at two um, stations in Montreal, uh, that are in the book, CFOX 1470 on the AM dial, and CKGM AM, and uh, I met him, and, and like when I heard him talk, it was, uh, it just, uh, I felt like I hadn't gone through puberty, you know? I was uh, realistic uh, uh, enough, but I enjoyed just tooling around Radio Oil until I graduated. Any aspirations I had for radio aside and uh, went to be on to become a teacher, a high school teacher. Uh, I retired from teaching in, uh, well, it's almost 16 years ago now. And, and yes, I did wander into freelance uh, journalism and I, I was to make a great deal of money. And, uh, and I had this idea for the book uh, circulating in my head, percolating in my head for a, a number of years until I finally, uh, about four years ago, got down to some serious business. And it is a tribute to about a 20-year period of history in Montreal from 64 to 84, golden days, if you will, of uh, Montreal radio. That's English language radio I'm talking and With a, a specialty a little bit in, in rock in particular, you think? Well, yeah, there's all top 40 stations I'm talking about here. It's rock radio. Not, I'm not talking about any of the talk news. So strictly the rock, uh, rock stations. There's three AM stations that were uh, vying for the market and, uh, and the beginnings also of uh, the founding of the first FM station in Montreal, which was owned by Jeff Sterling of uh, Mason of, um, of Broadcasting. Uh, he owned both CKGM AM and CKGM FM. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the name, Jeff Sterling. Yeah, from Newfoundland, which, which really surprised me. That's not something that I, I've known. Uh, I, pre- I presume that, uh, that uh, you know, he was, he was uh, operating mainly in, uh, in Newfoundland. He was, uh, he'd already made his mark in Newfoundland. He also had five radio stations altogether. Plus, he had his interest in newspaper, which is where he got his start in the, the St. John's Herald. Uh, and he bought, he bought that from the legendary uh, uh, Joey Smallwood. They were lifelong friends. Jeff is a Jeff is a fascinating character. He comes of a totally different era from anybody else I write about in the book. Uh, and now he, he died just a, two, a couple of years ago at the age of 93. 
So uh, his sons still uh, operate Oz FM, uh, FM radio station, and, and, and plus the uh, TV station in uh, St. John's, his sons. You know, we talk about mom and pop radio, in other words, these stations that were family-owned businesses uh, like Alan Waters and, and, uh, and Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Sterling, you know, they all know each other. Uh, they are of uh, a lost era. So there was that hands-on approach that, that I think uh, was typical of that day before some of the larger corporations started to buy up radio stations. Well, listen, take us back culturally, musically, what was happening in the 50s and 60s that that birthed this kind of radio in Montreal? I think it, it just got to a point in the early 60s where, you know, you just couldn't ignore it anymore. They were not risk takers, I don't think, and they were, they were staying the middle of the road route, and uh, they thought they could, you know, ignore rock and roll, but... You know, it, it leaked its way onto the onto the Billboard charts, and they did get to the point some some um, conservative radio stations in, in Canada where they were giving over say an hour a day to rock music. You know, but that was like a special. You know, the teenager had to catch that, know when it was on, and so they toyed with it. But at the same time, they always went back to their regular programming. The first station in Montreal that took the risk was, uh, ironically, one of the more conservative radio stations in Montreal, and that was CFCF, owned by Marconi, and they gave this uh, DJ, Dave Boxer was, became the Dick Clark of Montreal. When he hit his show in 1964, started on CFCF, he had a huge following. Fan clubs, he was sponsoring uh, contest galore. He was on stage for the Beatles' first concert at the Montreal Forum. Then a uh, radio station subsequently uh, followed him. Another radio station, CKGM. They they put a guy opposite Boxer to try and uh, uh, to try and compete with him, and that would be George Morris, who's a big voice in Montreal. That's what made it an exciting time. Of course, in 1964, the Beatles came, the British invasion came, and changed everything. Yeah, and the one station it did in Montreal was a small station out here, and that was CFOX Radio, 1470 AM, owned by Gord Sinclair Jr. They had a country music format, and somebody talked him into going Top 40 Rock and Roll because one morning he just handed over the, his morning show to a guy called Dean Hagopian from Ottawa, and uh, Dean put uh, Satisfaction by the Stones on the turntable, and they didn't look back. For the five years, they occupied the number one AM top 40 English station status in Montreal. And shortly thereafter, or around that time, uh, Montreal becomes really an epicenter for for the rock radio revolution in Canada and begins to attract high-level talent, perhaps higher level than maybe otherwise. Can you explain how that sort of came about? Well, at the, at the time, it's, it's strange it is, is for people today to uh, to to imagine. Uh, Montreal was the business capital of Canada. Montreal was a larger city, had more population than Toronto, and all the significant head offices towards the end of the seventies. That whole uh, that whole circulation of businesses had changed to go in the opposite direction. That is to say, at that point in time in the sixties, they they were humming, they were growing, 
they were uh, vibrant, uh, Montreal, and it was a great place to start start something new on radio. So Quebec is, is rarely a dull moment here, i got to tell you that. Mm, no, no, for sure. <laughs> Chum FM claims it went top 40 in 1959, which puts it, you know, way out in front, I guess, of other stations who... Alan Freed uh, is a prime example of a guy who was um, who became a, a radio star. He made TV appearances and he made even movie appearances. And Alan Freed also was the, the first white announcer to incorporate R and B into his into his uh, into the stuff he played on radio. So he he was a forerunner, uh, and that's what he uh, that's what he's famous for. And so he's, uh, well, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who is your favorite character uh, that you write about in the book? Well, actually, I guess it's, I have to say Jeff Sterling because he just goes back so far. He goes back to a time when when he was, um, you know, when he was so young and working in his father's restaurant. But he was such a hustler uh, when he bought... The, actually, he bought the newsprint from Joey Smallwood to start his own newspaper when he was quite young and also wrote for the newspaper. But when he delivered it, he'd go out on the ice floes of St. John's Harbor and drop off bundles of newspaper for the seal hunters that were out there. His success, as, as I mentioned, his uh, his um, love of Eastern mysticism, it just seems so uh, uh, un-Newfoundland for the time. And he was ahead of the curve when everybody else was doing Transcendental Meditation. There's a great film that the NFB did with Smallwood and Sterling go to Havana, Cuba, about four or five years after the revolution when Fidel had installed himself, and it's called Waiting for Fidel. A true character. Great film, too. It's a really important film. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, great documentary. They fought constantly, and yet they were buds right till the very end. So, So simply because Sterling goes back so far and really is a classic... Self, self-made man. I thought it important to mention because uh, he had the two stations, AM and the FM. And what did most FM stations play at the time? They played what we called elevator music, right? And so Sterling took a pitch from a young guy, a young university student, in 1969 to take his FM station and like uh, drag it into the. 20th century, the uh, music that was going on in the in the 20s. This would be an FM station with a spiritual component that would, and then so Sterling bit on this guy's. His name is Doug Pringle. Bit on, bit on Doug Pringle's pitch, and the next day after he met with Sterling, Sterling put him on the air for four hours, and the station that's now called Shom FM was born, and it's still on the air today. Within 10 years, they'd overtaken top 40, their top 40 sister radio station in the ratings. The, the whole FM stereo movement, of course, which, which was not something AM could, could compete with, it, it spelled, ultimately, it spelled the end of uh, that kind of radio. So uh, that was uh, in Montreal. And likewise, in Chum FM went that same, uh, that same route, too. But when Sterling, uh, when Sterling realized that not only were there no parameters, there were hardly any advertisers. They weren't making any money. They refused, in fact, the hippies refused to take, like, Coke ads or car ads or anything like that. 
eventually said, all right, you guys have had your playtime now. It's time to make money. And then the station changed from that point on. In about 72 or something like that, I, I think Shom changed. And some of the purists didn't like it, you know. They got, oh my God, Shom's gone corporate, you know. And I think a lot of FM stations that were given free reign at that time found the same thing, that eventually the bills had to be paid. Well, listen, my friend, uh, you have written a very important piece, uh, you know, in terms of Canadian radio, rock and radio, uh, describing Montreal at such a interesting time. Um, I know it's going to find a place on the, the reading tables of, of a lot of our readers. And um, what do you think about the state of radio today? Is is there any um, any sense uh, that you have that, that radio has a space to, to go back to some of the things that, that made it great during this period? I don't think, well, sometimes when I hear glimpses of, uh, you know, if I'm, doing a little dial shuffling in my vehicle I, I, I hear some top 40 disc jockey in a lot of the uh, in a lot of the announcers although it's not nearly the same quick car salesman kind of pattern that some of them use you know not all of them were fast talking but that was definitely the style of the day you know there's still top 40 out there right it's clear that the reverse of things like what you're doing uh, in podcasts there are hundreds hundreds and hundreds of podcasts that are getting serious kinds of listenership and and uh, young people are, are listening to that as a form of radio it's changing my radio habits have changed since i've, uh, I've hit my uh, 60s and um, i have my uh, radio station in the car turned to three stations. Uh, one of them is Shom, the other one is CBC, and the other one is NPR. So that just shows, shows you how I've, how I've changed over the years. Right. Well, that could be just a function of uh, where we're all headed, you know. Uh, you know, different, uh, you know, wanting different kind of stimulation at a different time in life, too. Uh, but I'm glad to hear you still, you're still rocking Shom. That's for sure. Yeah, well, when a good song comes up, the volume goes up. When it doesn't, I'll, I'll change it to some other station. Many people I interviewed talked about, the, the, the jocks I interviewed talked about the music their parents had, or the stations their parents had on in the kitchen in the morning when they came down to breakfast before going off to school. It was always the same station. They remembered it. You know, they heard the station. And that's the station that they uh, they remember after all these years. Some even wind up wound up working for those stations. I, I just wonder what kind of lineup these people have, and, and whether the radio is still the background to family activities. Uh, I just wonder about that. I don't know enough about it. I know some of the guys that, that you interviewed have talked about that. Hmm. Well, I think I think there's a definitely a, a transition that I can detect. Uh, a meaningful transition back to uh, the magic of the programming um, and really connecting with local audiences. And I, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And we're seeing moves in the industry to take us in that direction too. So very exciting time, um, you know, and, and a very transformative time again, uh, which, which really breeds opportunity for the young, doesn't it? I mean, you know, for, for young people to get involved in the medium, the audio medium, um, it is a tremendous time because who knows what it's what the opportunity is in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Well, people are sure plugged in, Sean. When I walk downtown Montreal, uh, those buds are in. Everybody's sick. Every other person's got their buds.
you might be surprised. They might be listening to CBC or they might be listening to, to Shom. I, I think you would be uh, very much surprised. Listen, Ian, we could talk until next week. The book is fantastic. I had a great time and I'm, I, I hope I didn't ramble too much, but there's a million stories in the Naked City and I appreciate you giving me an opportunity here to, uh, to give my book a, a little more geographic exposure because I... I was hoping that it could transcend the subject being Montreal related, but I, I hope the book can transcend borders. I think it will. Thanks very much. Okay, that's super, Sean. Thank you very much. Ian Howarth is the author of Rock and Radio, When DJs and Rock Music Ruled the Airwaves. For more on the book, visit rockinradiodays.com. That's rock, the letter N, radiodays.com. I'm Sean Smith. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.